This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. If you're a loser, tune in and you'll be a winner. It's the Moranalytics Podcast. Talking Buffalo sports, Yankees, WWE, 80s music, and pop culture. And now, here's your host, Patrick Moran. Top shelf where Mama hides the cookies. Greetings, podcast people. Welcome to the Moranalytics Podcast, episode number 53. Today's Friday, September 14th, 2018. I am Patrick Moran. Folks, hockey season has arrived and Buffalo Sabres training camp officially begins today with players on the ice and to celebrate the start of hockey season and what hopefully will be a far more entertaining Buffalo Sabres campaign than we saw last year. My featured guest on today's podcast will be Joe Yurden of The Athletic, who along with John Vogel are covering the Sabres beat for The Athletic's newly formed Buffalo Division. I got a long, wide-ranging interview with Joe covering everything, going back to his growing up near Albany, through college, and all the steps in his career that led him to The Athletic this summer. We talk some Sabres, and I ask him about Rasmus Asplund, Alex Nylander, how he feels about the team's bottom six forwards compared to recent years, the effect of Rasmus Dahlin to the culture of the organization, and I get his take on how he thinks the Sabres will do this year. We also talk about chicken wings because that's just what I do, and I put him through my now worldwide famous mini lightning round, and we find out how he became a quote-unquote noted jerk. (laughs) Joe's great. It was one of the more fun interviews I've done on this show. We're going to get to that in just a minute. Of course, I didn't forget about the Bills. I got the running with Joe with my guy, Joe from Buffalo Wins, and we're diving right into the news, the big news, that rookie Josh Allen is now the starting quarterback after just one game. I asked Joe if he thinks, based on what happened, if Nate Peterman's career in Buffalo is going to soon be over. I get his take on if he agrees with Stephen A. Smith, who said the Bills may end up being the worst team of this decade, not just this year, but this decade. And we even switch gears and talk about WWE's Hell in a Cell pay-per-view this coming Sunday night. Joe offers up his predictions. It should be a fun card. It was a fun segment to do. It's a packed podcast today, folks. In fact, I think this may be the longest episode I've ever done to date. So I'm going to get right after this right now. Here's my interview with The Athletic's Joe Yurden, followed by The Running With Joe. All right, my guest is a Buffalo Sabres beat writer for The Athletic Buffalo Division, 
where along with his colleague, John Vogel, they'll aim to give fans the best hockey team beat coverage around. Before that, he spent the past handful of years running for NHL.com, covering the Sabres, and also some Toronto Maple Leaf stuff. Boo. I'm talking about Joe Yurden. What's up, Joe? Thanks for coming on. Just before things get a little nutty for you, I'm sure, with camp. It's happy hockey season, man. Good to have you on. Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's just gearing up now. The the prospect challenge was a nice warm up for everything. It's it's great to talk to you though, Pat. It's this is this is fun to do. Yeah, I've been looking forward to having you on for quite a while. And just like I, you know, I always like to start at the beginning because I think it's always cool for fans who listen to the show and also people who you know who read your work and like you to learn a little bit more about you and where you came from. So on that note, where are you from and where did you grow up? Well, I, I'm from the uh, the Albany area to be to be more specific, a town called uh, Waterford. Which, funny enough, when you know when people come to Buffalo, they see everything about the canal and the canal side and everything. And uh, in this case, I, I grew up on the other end of the canal. We you know where uh, Waterford was the we had Canal Fest every every spring. So it, it's funny. I, I I could have taken a boat here to to when I moved, but uh, <laughs> figured that figured that was probably not not the swiftest way to do it. Although it would have been. Would have been some fun history, but uh, I lived there for thirty whatever years, and and then moved out here five six years ago. And uh, you know, it was it was great growing up out there because I, I got a pretty good taste of hockey uh, growing up. I my my family was I was the hockey fan out of everybody. My my dad's a, a fan of you know football, baseball, basketball, and I got into hockey as a kid and. He was uh, he was really helpful in taking me to uh, to RPI uh, engineers games. I grew up watching Adam Oates and Joey Juno and and Darren Poopa and all these guys when they were playing there. And uh, grew up an Adirondack Adirondack Red Wings fan and became a Detroit Red Wings fan through that. So it's uh, it's a little bit of a weird gray area in the Albany area when it comes to pro sports because yeah. It's, you can end up being a Boston fan, a Boston area fan. You can end up being a New York City fan. You could be a Buffalo fan. And uh, they all blend together out there. And it makes it a little a little bit weird growing up because everybody's a fan of everything. Did you enjoy playing hockey when you were a kid or any other sports? I was uh, I was not coordinated enough to be a hockey player. I was uh, I was barely coordinated enough to be a basketball player and a baseball player. And it's it's arguable how coordinated I was at either of those Um uh, baseball, I was, you know, if I wasn't playing at first base, I was playing in the playing in right field because I was not fast and wasn't trusted to be anywhere else on the field. And uh, basketball, I grew up playing center, uh, and then when everybody grew up, I became basically a small forward, and I didn't have a jump shot. So that 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 basically put a bullet in any any kind of basketball career <laughs> I, I thought I might have been having because I couldn't shoot. And I was no longer big anymore, so I couldn't couldn't really body up down low. What do you think drew you to hockey as a kid? You know, it's not that common for young kids to be big hockey fans. You know what I mean? And you said, you know, the family, they liked other sports more. Yeah. What drew you to hockey so much as a kid? It was uh, it was the Wayne Gretzky Oilers teams. Um, they, they scored eight or nine goals a game, and they beat the pants off of everybody. Yeah. And, you know, when it, when it came to TV time, I mean, they were on, you know, Stanley Cup Final was always on cable or, or some other network uh, when that was on. And, and watching them just just school everybody was just fascinating to watch. And, you know, I, I, I was one of those kids growing up where, you know, I was reading the box scores and you just you're, you're, you're tallying up all the numbers and you're keeping the numbers in your head and you're, you're, you're talking to your buddies at school about it. And 
Uh, you know, when, when you got you got a team like the Oilers where you get Gretzky putting up 200 points a season and and they're just, you know, they're just running rough shot over everybody. It was it was amazing to watch and, you know, getting to see, te- you know, getting to watch RPI growing up. I mean, you know, you don't you, college hockey is just starting to become really a thing around here now in sure. at least in Buffalo. But um, when you're watching Adam Oates and John Carter and those guys play back in, you know, back in the mid 80s. And they're getting 80, 90 points a season playing, you know, 35 games a season. Uh, it was really impressive to watch. And, you know, it just drew me right in because it's, it's fast. Guys scored a ton of goals. And, they, you know, there's the physicality part of it, too. And, you know, it, you can imagine how happy I was when um, when the trap took over and team stopped scoring goals. I was really a, a grinding point for me when, when yeah. that started happening. But uh, <laughs> I, I think that's fair to say for everybody. Sure, definitely. Now, in regards to school, I read that you went to the Massachusetts College of Liberal Arts and then later on to, to Sonny Oswego. That's right. I, let, me, <laughs> let me ask yeah. you this. I ask all my media <laughs> guests this. Why Massachusetts? And were there other schools at the time that you considered going to or that you wanted to go to? Yeah. Well, North Adams was funny because um, when I applied to go there, they were North Adams State College. And it's in the middle. It's in the most extreme northwest part of massachusetts it was about 40 minutes from from where i grew up at home so it wasn't very far away Mm -hmm. uh but it was still in another state so there was there was that part of it but when i showed up to campus it was it was now called the the massachusetts college of liberal arts and that was i mean that was the first thing where it was like oh okay all right we're doing this (laughs) and then (laughs) and then you know i get there and um I, I went there with the thought that I was going to be a journalism major and get in a newspaper because I was doing newspaper all through high school and, you know, just took to it right away. And I get to North Adams and I started doing radio right away because that was the most available thing. And we had the sports meeting the first day to, to decide who was going to do what. And, you know, basketball and hockey were the two things going on there. And they asked who was interested in, in doing hockey on radio. And I was the only person that put their hand up. And uh, by that, I ended up getting to be the the, the color analyst for for the games with uh, with Rich Pothier, who was the play by play voice since like the '80s on the the little college station there. And and man, it, I took to broadcasting right away. And that's that's what ended up spurring me on to Oswego because uh, the broadcasting program in North Adams was was very quick, and it meant having a major in English. And I was not about to do that and so yeah so i went to oswego and got my got my degree in broadcasting and mass communications which might help explain the voice a little bit (laughs) when did you get the itch that first time where you really knew that you wanted to be a sports writer like i said i mean obviously you were into broadcasting stuff too but you did mention sports writing before when did you Mm -hmm. first get that itch that this is something that you might want to do uh that came about like sophomore year of high school um I went to Catholic Central High School in Troy, New York, and um, we had a we one of our we had actually a, a journalism class that was taught by a, a woman who was a writer for the Troy Record uh, for for many years, and you know she she just came on came onto the staff and was was like, well, hey, I wrote at the paper for a while, let me do a class, and they let her do a class, which was a good thing because we got to do a paper, and we made a basically a professional professional looking newspaper it was it was tabloid style which is kind of kind of funny considering you know a catholic high school and uh you're putting out you know putting out a front and back page paper where it's you know it could get a little wild but yeah um 
but it was it was something where I, I took to it right away. And there was a few of us that liked to write about sports, and um, you know, we had plenty of sports to write about there. And you know, it was nothing big. We were only writing like, you know 150 word stories or 200 word stories at most. And uh, even still, back then, I managed to find myself getting into a little bit of hot water writing about a, a guy who had got kicked off the baseball team uh, mid-game. Well, he didn't get kicked off. He quit the team mid-game because he got pulled from the game. Wow. Uh, he was a pitcher, and he left the field, like hopped in his car and left the field. And I was like, well, this is a story. <laughs> There's something. Yeah. So I wrote about it, and the higher-ups in the school didn't really like me writing about it because the kid was was very – he was a senior that year, and he was pretty high up. And they were like, hey, you can't, you can't write stories knocking – knocking one of the other students and i go well i didn't i he, he threw a fit and, and walked off the field and he hopped in his car he drove by right by me like what do you want me like come on and they said they said we can't have you doing that you can't do that and you know my my teacher really stuck stuck by me as far as that story went and got my re- first real taste of what it's like to to be a rabble rouser reporter i guess and I guess I guess it was just a, a premonition, really, because yeah, it's, it's a sign of things that's, to come. That's for the sure. way the road ended up going. So that's I mean, hey, you know, whatever. But but it's funny to look back. It's funny to look back on now. So after school, your career essentially starts. And by the way, I totally looked this up in your profile. So that's how I know all <laughs> this. That's how I know all this shit. So you your career, you know, essentially starts as a producer at Clear Channel Radio. Tell us about that. How did that come about? And what did you do there? Now, you were there for. I think I read for close to five years. Uh, almost six. Wow. I almost made it wow. full six years. Um, started there. Uh, I was out of college for about a year and working all kinds of like rando odd job stuff as what happens when you get out of college. Yeah. Cause sometimes it does the, the plan you have in mind doesn't really play out the same way it, it, it does. Yeah, more times than not. Yep. Yeah. I, and I started working part time. Uh, as a as a board op producer for Clear Channel Albany, and they had me work. I worked at basically every station in the cluster there, doing some kind of doing some kind of board op work, whether it was uh, WOFX, the, the sports station, or it was uh, making sure some of the music stations stayed on the air overnight, or it was the the news talk station to make sure that that shows like Coast to Coast AM ran smoothly when it was two and two in the morning, and everybody needed their their wacky sci fi fix. So. <laughs> Uh, but it was doing that for a little while, and then I produced for uh, for Andrew Wilkow, uh, who's a conservative talk show host now with uh, Sirius XM. And I produced for him for a few, for a few months, and uh, got tapped by by Don Weeks, who was a legend in the Albany area. I mean, he was he ended up being on the air for over thirty years. His morning show was on the air for over thirty years, and I got wow. to produce that for two and a half, two and a half or three years until. Uh, Clear Channel decided they needed to start laying people off company wide, and as as they've uh, gotten known to do, and uh, that's that's what put me out the door. Eventually, it was not my choice to go, but you know when when corporate comes calling, then you have no choice but to leave. Right. In the fall of two thousand eight, you started doing some writing for SB Nation for the blog that covered the Minnesota Wild. We'll talk about the media aspect of that in a few, but let me ask you this. How important do you feel it is for someone to get gigs like that when you're first starting off, you know, on your, on, on your quest to become a writer and get involved in that business? You know, that opportunity to hone your craft. How important is it to have those type of jobs along the way? For me, it was vital um, because it was it was still kind of Wild West like 
uh, when it came to blogs and, and, and things like that and, and mm-hmm. around that time. I mean, the, the Internet really had had be, had come into its own and it had become started down the road that it's on now where it's this, you know, just massive thing that's taken over everything. And I mean, it's I don't want to sound sound like I'm, I'm being naive and thinking like, you know, it was really 2008 when this came up. I mean, you know, I, I was on the Internet in college back in you know the late 90s and early 2000s. So right. it was, it was, you know, but. It, Around 2008, it became more of a viable thing to get noticed and to put your work out there. And yeah. People were read, reading everything. And it was really important to get a piece of that and to, to, to just not really say no to anything and just write. And at the time, I was writing – I think I was writing my own blog. And I would gotten to know the guys that were running the, uh, the, the wild site at the time. And they said, hey, do you want to do something – want to do one thing a week for us to just kind of – you know?" shoot from the hip and i was like yeah absolutely I was, they're, they're like you watch a lot of wild games right and i go well i'm watching a bunch of games yeah. you know I, I was like i can really just kind of comment on things i'm not going to like break down and do analysis or any of that stuff but there, there was enough controversy well controversy anyways with you know marion gabrick and the fan base being kind of pissed at him for not you know scoring eight thousand goals a year and you know they were a jacques lemaire team so they weren't really scoring a ton of goals in the first place and um, it was fun. It was fun to write about that and, and to just kind of get a piece of that action. And I, I think at the time I didn't really appreciate the profile uh, that writing on SB Nation because that was really starting to take off then when yeah. uh, when it was James, I think it was James Myrtle who had kind of started things up and was really the first guy to rally all those sites together. So um, that, that was something where being a part of that just started really getting me out on the road to just shooting my mouth off aimlessly all over the internet. <laughs> In the summer of July, what was it? 2010. Yeah. You become a writer for pro hockey talk on NBC sports.com. During your time there, you covered two Stanley cups, two NHL drafts and an all-star game. Now this was definitely a, a step up in your career, right? Uh, huge to say, <laughs> to say the least. Um, getting in at NBC was was kind of by chance because uh, another one of the blog, you know, one of the blog people I got to know uh, was running the site and he, you know, he was a fan of my work already, uh, Brandon Worley. And he was, he was running a stars blog, but then he was heading up the NBC blog and he said, Hey man, you want to write for us? We, we could use some part-time help. And uh, I was like, yeah, absolutely. And he's like, it's like, all right, cool. He's, he's like, we can, we just need people. We just need, you know, we need some extra help here. We got the cup finals coming up with the playoffs and we just need, we just need more. We got to, you know, myself, you know, he and he and James O'Brien couldn't really keep up with the amount that they, that they wanted, uh, that NBC was asking for him. So they said, Hey, get in here and, and give us a hand with everything. And I was happy to do that. And then, then Brandon ended up quitting the site or leaving the site because he had gotten a job elsewhere doing, doing some other stuff. I think he went and got a, got a job at the Navy. Huh. Um, yeah, I, I mean, Hey, it was, it was paying him good money. So I don't blame sure. him. Yeah. Um, and then I got named to, to head up the site that summer, uh, after the draft and after free agency was over, they tapped me to, to, to run it, to take over Brandon's position. And, uh, I did that for the next year and a half until, uh, they hired, uh, they hired a, uh, Jason and Mike uh, out of Vancouver, the Curtain Blog guys, and um, that that was kind of a surprise when when that came about. But uh, but I stayed on there for another four years, including including the first year I was out here in Buffalo, and it was just the amount of 
the amount of everything that I was able to do because NBC, you know, said, yeah, hey, go, go cover this, go write about this. Give us, you know, it was always more and more and more. Give us, you're, you're creating the page views, create more page views. We need the content. We need everything. And, uh, you know, that meant going to the draft. It meant going to the cup finals, meant being on the scene for this stuff and doing interviews and, and, and being a part of all that and getting to have, you know, different conversations with, with a thousand other people. And, it was it was something else. Now, granted, you know, NBC was their direction now has changed a little bit, but they were so heavy on doing aggregation. It was really tough to do a lot of original work there. But I I tried to carve carve out some moments where I was able to do that, including getting to go to Arizona, cover some games there. But, you know, the, the, the year where I thought they were going to be moving after that. And as we know, Coyotes haven't moved anywhere, but. Right. Uh, but but getting to do that and to do some original stuff was was really helpful, especially especially during the lockout when, you know, we had no NHL news to, to run with because it was, con- you know, league contract negotiations, CBA nonsense. And that nobody wants to read about that unless something happens. And I got to do a lot of AHL work out of Albany and Glens Falls that, you know, for those few months, because we just had a we had a dearth of of stuff to write about. And I said, well, listen, I'm going to go cover this stuff because it's actually hockey and there's NHL players playing here. I said, so well, let me do this. And they were like, yeah, sure. Do whatever. And I was like, well, okay, I'm going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> now in the fall of 2013, you become a correspondent on NHL.com for both the Sabres and the Maple Leafs. I have to imagine it was a very interesting time for you to come cover Buffalo games. Cause you know, that's right around the time where the whole tank stuff has started. You know what I mean? Is, was that like a really interesting time for you? Yeah. Well, that, I mean, that first year was weird. Cause I was hired to, to, to just cover stuff in Buffalo. Yeah. And, and when, you know, I moved out here and it was, everything happened really quick. Cause I moved out, moved out here October 1st, 2013. And then opening night in Buffalo was the fourth. And then opening night in Toronto was the fifth. And in the meantime, in those few days, they, were, they said, "Hey, listen, we don't have a correspondent in Toronto. Would you would you be up for for covering games there too?" And I was like, "Games in Toronto, ACC, absolutely. Like, yeah, sure, like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Let's let's go. Like, I'm ready to go now." And you know, the Leafs had just had a playoff appearance. I think it was the the playoffs before. I think that was when they got back, um, where they ended up getting knocked out by Boston in that unbelievable Game Seven. Um, but I was I was like, "Yeah, let's do it," and that ended up. I think I ended up covering about 65 games wow. that year uh, between Buffalo and Toronto. And it, it was weird because the, the focus in the second half of the season was, well, you know, Buffalo's bad. Uh, the Leafs are in a playoff race. Let's see how things go there. And once that attention changed, um, the Leafs just fell into, fell into a pit of oblivion. And they, they went from being second in the East to tw- I think they finished 12th. Second or third in the East, they finished twelfth, and it was like, wow, this this changed really fast. But uh, it was fascinating to get two ends of of media where you know Buffalo, it's it's a lot smaller. Sure, you can work on a lot more stories. And yeah, okay, the team was team was bad, but you know what? Do you, you know nothing you can do about that. You're just writing about them. And then to do stuff in Toronto where it's a mob scene every day, and depending on who they're playing, it's an even bigger mob scene, or it's just still a regular, you know you know, giant crowd. And it's just, it was wild to get those two perspectives, but it was also a thing where I felt like I wasn't really part of either media. Cause I was just the, you know, I was the lead guy. It's my first year and I'm just kind of there. 
And I wasn't really dug in on either beat, mm-hmm. which sounds weird to say, but, um, you know, I mean, the Sabres were, were bad that year. And I was like, wow, that's impressive how bad they were. <laughs> I didn't know what I was, I didn't know what we were in for for the, next, the following season. Oh my when God. All hell broke loose with the, with the tank season. It's funny because, you know, that besides the, the difference with media, those are just two teams that are rivals and hate each other. You might be the only person I've ever talked to anyway that's covered both the Sabres and the Leafs at the same time. It's like covering the Crips and the Blood at the same time. You know what I mean? It's like you got both sides there. You're covering both sides, both gangs. You know what I mean? That's kind of crazy that you did that. I don't think I've, I'm sure there have been other people who've done it, but I personally don't know of anyone who has. I mean, I, I'm I'm not going to anoint myself as as you know the the, the saints of the the golden horseshoe here or anything like that. <laughs> um, but it was, I mean, it was it was pretty wild to to, to be on both sides of that, and especially given that I, I I think it was that preseason before I even came out here when uh, when <laughs> when David Clarkson jumped off the bench and John Scott tried to fight Phil Castle yeah, yeah, and yeah. Jonathan Bernier and Ryan Miller decided to throw down in the preseason. And yeah. it was like, wait, I got to cover both of these guys. It was like, <laughs> all right, well, see how that goes. And, you know, it was, it was, it was wild because I mean, that first, the first two weeks I was there, they had me write three features, one on the Sabres, one on the Leafs and then one on the Senators because, because Ottawa played two home openers right in a row in Buffalo and Toronto uh, that weekend. So it was, it, it was, it was weird. It was, it was very weird to just kind of say, all right, you're here, you're in and start writing, just get, get right to town. And, and it's a turbulent time for you as well. Like I said, when you come to Buffalo, listen, the Sabres were struggling for quite a while before that. And they've had their ups and downs through franchise history, but never like this. You know what I mean? You come no. there and one year later, like you said, all hell breaks loose. That must've been kind of like, like I said, a turbulent time for you to come move around this area cover the hockey team, deal with the fans, hear the talk show radio hosts, you know, and everyone in the newspaper going back and forth. They're fighting with each other. Fans are fighting with each other, pro-tank, anti-tank, all that stuff. Did you come at some point, you're like, God damn, what did I get myself into here in Buffalo? <laughs> well, I was I was a lot happier that nobody hung the blame on me for them being as bad as they've been <laughs> since I've been here because, because I mean, like, look at it this way. The first two seasons I covered were two of the worst seasons since, what, the 70s? yeah. I want to say. Um, and then last, you know, even last season was probably the most disappointing. I, I, I think people almost respected the, you know, the, the, the seasons that led to Reinhardt right. and Eichel getting drafted. But last year it was just like, yeah. what the hell? Like, what, ha- what, you know, why are they this bad? Like, what's going on? Yeah, it was insufferable. And, yeah. Yeah. And I, I totally don't blame fans for jumping off the boat on that one because, you know, the, you know, the Bills made their run. And then they said, we ain't got time for this. Like, <laughs> Call calls back when when you're playing well and you're playing fun and you're actually scoring some damn goals. I don't you know I don't fault the fans at all for just kind of just pushing them away and saying all right whatever we'll we'll you know we'll, we'll be back you. someday yeah right exactly all right so in July this summer the landscape of local sports competition shifts in a major way the athletic Buffalo division is formed. And right away, some pretty big names like Tim Graham and John Vogel were announced, as well as Matt Fairborn, by the way, a guy who I think is a huge rising star in sports media. Not long mm-hmm. after that, you make the announcement that you're joining the Athletic as well, joining John to bang out you know, a hell of a left-right combo covering the Sabres beat. How did the opportunity to join the Athletic come about for you? For me, it was one, and you know, I'll be totally honest, I have been working on 
putting a bug in their ear for a long time. Sure. Uh, because I knew that this was what they're, you know, they were going to be coming here eventually. I mean, you know, James, James Myrtle had made that pretty obvious yeah. a while back that, yep. you know, Boston, Pittsburgh and Buffalo were the cities they were coming to. And it was just a matter of when. And, and I was, as soon as that was made known, I you know, started bugging James constantly and saying like, Hey, when's it happening? I'm ready to go. Let me, ju- you know, let's jump in on this. And cause it was something that I knew was good. And, you know, all the stuff I, you know, I had been reading from them, you know, from everybody involved was all good. And the freedom it allowed writers to do was, you know, immediately very jealous of cause you know, and it, you know, when you, when you're right for a team or you write for a league, there's a lot of things you can't talk about, a lot of things you don't have the freedom to discuss, and a lot of things where, you know, maybe you're outranked and other people are going to do those stories, which right. you know makes it frustrating. But, um, but I had I had been I had bugged them for about a year, and um, when it got in, you know when it when it opened up and when it announced, I was I won't lie, I was pretty I was pretty bummed because I had been talking to them, and you know there were some negotiations, and it didn't really didn't really seem like they were eager to add a full-time person. And I was like, oh, geez, I was like, all right, well, you know, because they already hired John, they already hired Tim, they hired Matthew. And I was like, well, it looks like I'm skunked out here. So this, this is rough. And then the city of Buffalo stepped up and everybody was subscribing. And the, the amount of the number of people that subscribed, the number yeah. of people that, that got on board with this, you know, right away, uh, I got a I got a call from from Paul Fichtenbaum and he said he said hey listen uh, uh, remember we what we had talked about before he's like well we need to we're gonna add somebody are you interested and I said, you know we're gonna add somebody full time are you interested I said yeah absolutely I said let's discuss and discussions went pretty quickly and it was not it was right after development camp was over with uh, that it was announced and it was it was a little funny because I think develop, the Sabres development camp was the first time first like gathering of of all the media in the town yeah where things had changed you know big got, time you know, you, we're going to talk about the, that too yes yep. oh sure but like you've got the buffalo news in the house you got the athletic in the house you got you know i'm still there working for nhl.com and it's just like wow okay this is this is this is something else like it's it's that air of change that's that's around all of it and at the time, I had already, I already knew it. I had, I had agreed to, to join up, but the but but John and Tim didn't know he didn't know yet. So the so John sees me and he's got a big smile on his face. He's like, "Hey, how you doing? How's the summer going?" I was like, you know, I smile back at him. It's going. It's really good. It's really really good. And <laughs> I I thought he had known already that that I had gotten hired, uh-huh. but he didn't. And the next day he goes, he goes, well, geez, no wonder why you were smiling so much because <laughs> they, because they finally told they finally you know told the rest of the staff, like, Hey, we're adding, we're adding these guys. So that, that I mean, that made it funny, but it also meant I couldn't write stories during dev camp <laughs> for the athletic because I'm still, I was still working for the NHL, but, right. uh, but it, I mean, it, it's, it's incredible. It's, it's amazing. And I'm still like working it out in my head. I was going to ask you what, what was that moment like for you? when you're able to publicly announce on your Twitter that you're joining the athletic. Cause like you said, I mean, that was a ball that got rolling right away. As soon as the first, you know, group of people came out, subscriptions started coming right away. That was a big, big steaming weight of momentum just coming down <laughs> on sports media. You know what I mean? So I'm sure it had to be a pretty big thrill for you personally on a personal level to be able to announce that you were joining that team. Well, it, it absolutely was because when when the first when it first originally got announced, I, my Twitter 
my Twitter um, mentions were blowing up like crazy. And it was from people who were upset, you know, people who were upset that I wasn't part of that group. And I was like, like, hey, listen, that's out of my hands. I can't do anything about that. But there were there there were so many at mentions of me with like the athletic buffalo hashtag or uh, uh, handle tagged in there saying like, what are you guys doing? You got to bring this guy in too. Yeah. It's like he's there, and I'm like, well, this is incredibly flattering. And then you know, I won't I, I won't lie. When it was my turn to announce joining up, I was I was a I was really vague and I was, I was a bit of a jerk <laughs> in doing so because I just, because I kept it very plain saying that, you know, I you remember, know, yeah, this was it. I'm done at NHL.com and I, I had no hints of what was coming next or, you know, what, or anything. I just said, you know, that's it. I'm done. I remember. Take it easy. And I kept it quiet all weekend. And I had so many people thinking that I was leaving media. That well, I, was... I knew, Joe. I'm not going to lie to you. I had a source. <laughs> I knew you were joining. I would never say anything. You know, I never would take that moment away from you or anyone else when they got something like that. But oh, I, no, no, I, I knew what was up with you, man. <laughs> I appreciate that. But it's, but it was just weird that people thought I was getting out. I was like, listen, I've been, been fighting at this for a very long time. And if I was going to get out, I'd probably go really quietly. Right. I would not be making a big deal about it. And then... I, you know, shut down the account or let it go dormant or, or whatever the case. I would just walk away. But um, but the other reason for doing that was just because there were a couple of openings. In well, one, I don't think anybody knew that there was an opening at The Athletic for, for more for more writers to come on board. But, you know, there was there was also an opening at the Buffalo News. And I said, well, let's keep speculation high here. Let's yeah, let's, let's make people take a guess. That's and if they think it. I'm leaving, that's fine. You know, it's it's fine. People talking about you as long as it's positive is totally fine. And, you know, when it, when it came time to announce it, um, it was, it's like I said, I mean, we're what September, we're mid September now. Yeah. And I'm still processing all this. I'm still trying to like, you know, get a handle on everything. And, and cause it's meant so much to me to be, to be part of this and to be included in it and to be able to do this full time and, and, you know, be a, like a tried and true, real, actual official beat writer. I mean, I, I I know this is probably, you know, it's old hat for some of the other, you know, for some of the other guys where they're just like, yeah, it's another gig. Well, yeah, it's another gig. But for me, it's it's such a it's such a big thing for me. And it's been something where I've just been just, you know, try. I have to, like, stop myself every now and again and just say, wow, Jesus. All right. Like this is this is really for real serious now. Now, you've been around long enough, at least to know. You know the Buffalo sports media scene fairly well. Let's just leave it at that. Yeah. And there was a time not long ago where, you know, Buffalo was a one newspaper town and a one radio station town and pretty much that and a few TV reporters. And that's pretty much it. Obviously, times have changed. And now for fans, there's more reading and listening options than ever before. I'm going to let you play kind of salesperson for a quick second here, all right? Because <laughs> um, there are a lot of people who subscribe to The Athletic, but there's also people listening who haven't. And some people, frankly, probably don't even know much about it. So tell people who are listening who aren't already why they should subscribe to The Athletic. Well, I, for me, it's the quality of stuff that we're that we're doing and the amount of digging in and the, the different factions and the sides of everything, of, of all the teams and everything that we're doing. I think we're able to, to offer such a, a breadth of coverage and with what we're doing. I mean, you mentioned... You know, the, I think the you know the bills are driving so much of it. And you get you get Matthew, who's who's so good at at 
being the beat guy and nailing yeah. every part of that coverage. And He's then you good. got Tim who can tell a great story about basically anyone. I mean, I, I, I think back to, you know, him just getting a couple of, a couple of good questions with the new punter and turning that into, mm-hmm. you know, a, a piece of gold. I think that's, I think that's just a, a great example of things that, that we can do. And, you know, now with, and you get the cover one guys and you get yards per pass and you're able to get your analytics and you're able to get your breakdowns and, and, and to figure out what exactly the bills are doing wrong. And, I, you know, you look at what we're doing on the hockey side of it, you know, with with John and I, it's just digging in so much on the beat and just trying to cover all these stories because there's a lot of interesting things about this team. And, you know, you get Chris in there talking about all the prospects and digging in and and telling you what these guys are, are capable of and what they're doing and, and how they're managing their young careers. It's it's something where, you know, and it's the NHL is even more of a young man's game than than it's ever been. So sure. I, having Chris there is just is vital to be able to, to dig in and tell about all this. I mean, granted, you know, half the young, I think half the young guys now are going to be part of the, are going to be part of the team here sooner than not. But um, (laughs) it's, it's something where we've all got abilities and you add in Ryan doing, you know, doing his um, Ryan Stimson, doing his, his stat breakdowns and teaching everybody about, you know, what it means, you know, how to break these things, how to look at this and to, to tell it to you in a way that's not putting you to sleep. I think that's that that and, and, you know I've told Ryan this. I think that's the biggest compliment where you can write something like that, make it engaging, and you learn from it. And and you you sit there thinking like you're not in class and you're actually taking a lot away from it. Having all, all of that involved, and then you add in you know Lindsay Dark Angelo who's doing all these great interviews with you know with past Bills and Sabers, and she's going to be doing some extra stuff you know doing Buttes and and women's basketball and all kinds of other stuff where you know the rest of us are going to be really busy with the beats that we've got. And, but we've got everybody else who can, who can dig into this stuff. And it's just, it's awesome. It's just incredible to have all of that. And I think there's, there's a lot of other parts to it that have either gotten ignored or, um, have been lost in the shuffle when it comes to coverage. When you think about the, beats, plus you get all you the national guys. Yeah. And you get yeah. all the national guys. I mean, Ken Rosenthal, Peter Gammons, Richard Deitch. I could go on forever. You don't have to sell me. I, I, I already, <laughs> actually, I was a subscriber because I said like the national guys before there even was a Buffalo division. So, but the people out there listening, that that's great. And that's all the reasons in the world to do it. How important was the addition of Tim Graham to the athletic at their launch? Because not only does he come from the Buffalo news, which is direct competition, obviously, but he came with pretty much unrivaled credibility when it comes to his writing and his storytelling ability. Some people liked him. Some people don't like him on Twitter. And that's very obvious. And they're pretty passionate both ways. But everyone, even his worst critics who don't like him, he's there's no one I don't think out there who, who tells stories better than Tim does. Nobody. No. no. Uh, having Tim right off the bat like that tells you how serious they were about setting the bar in Buffalo and saying, you know, listen, we know you guys have been reading one thing for a long time, but here's here's a new site that you should be reading and you're probably going to want to get get on board with this right away because uh you know the way tim writes and i think i think about his you know his bjorn nitmo story that he did with with the news oh my god amazing you know i mean it's just just unbelievable incredible stuff that he's been able to do and now it's like oh he's going to be doing that here and he's going to get to do these big pieces and then he's going to also get to do you know, these, these other game day stories from the bills and he's going to be doing some saber stories too. And probably a hundred other things as well. I mean, it, it, 
Tim's, you know, he when he digs in on something and he gets going with it, it's 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 something else. And it, it, he's the kind of writer that I think other it makes other writers jealous. And I know it's the case with me because I would love to be able to write a story and carve a story up and to do to lay it out and to be able to tell a story the way Tim does. But there's I don't have that. I don't have that ability. If I do, it hasn't been awakened in me yet. And I, maybe one day it will be, but it, it's, it's, it hasn't happened yet. But, but Tim's got it. And uh, to have somebody like that at launch is just, it's huge. Cause it, you know, it, we're, you know, I think, you know, and I'm not saying this as like a negative thing. I think, you know, when you look at John and Matt and myself, we're, you know, we're trench guys, you know, we, oh, yeah. we dig in there and we're, you know, we're in there every day and we're doing all this stuff. But Tim's a guy that comes in and, and he can wield the hammer and bring it all home and, and get you hooked with, with you know, the emotional story or the funny lines or, you know, be able to paint a picture for you that you might not have known about before. And that that to me is such a such a huge addition to have. And that, you know, when you've got that going for you, I mean, it's it's such a huge bonus. It's it. And it's something that really just it really swings swings things a lot more in your in your favor when you've got them on board. Well, since the Athletic hired you to cover the Sabres, I suppose we should probably talk about them for a few minutes, especially <laughs> since, as, as this airs this morning, camp is opening up. Let me start with the Prospects Challenge, okay? Rasmus Asplund apparently looked, I didn't see it, but apparently he looked very, very good. How close do you think this kid is to potentially cracking this roster? Is it out of camp? Is it early in the season? Is it next year? What do you think? Well, he's interesting because, you know, I mean, this is his first year in North America. So it's, you know, that, that adjustment can be tough. And I think he's the kind of guy that if if you're a Gergensons or you're a Larson or somebody like that, that's going to be down the lineup and you don't you're not there ready to go right away. This kid's going to push you. And I don't you know, I don't think everything I've gathered from from Jason Bottrell is that they don't want to rush anybody they want to take it easy and they want to make sure that, that when they're ready, they're ready to go and they're there to stay. They don't want guys bouncing up and down. And, and I think in Asplund's case, I mean, obviously he's got the easy part with his deal where you know, they can send him, they can send him to Roch. Don't have to worry about waivers. Don't have to do any of that. But, but if he's the best guy out of camp and he plays the way he did during the prospects challenge, which I mean, again, it's against most of the guys that are younger than him. So that's fine. But mm-hmm. I don't know the speed, the ability to score. He's he's on the puck all the time. To me, that's really tough to ignore. But I think that's that you're going to see what some of these guys who have been around a couple of years are really made of now because they're going to get pressured for real this time from 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 a guy like that. What should we make of Alex Nylander? Is 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 it put up or shut up time for this kid right now? Or you know, or am I premature in saying that still? That's, you know, it's tricky because, yeah, he's been around two years now. And I think his contract's been able to slide each of those two years. So he, he still, I think he still has three years left on his entry-level deal because, you know, that's that's the fun of having an 18-year-old play in the AHL. You can just say, all right, whatever. It's a, basically a free year, you know, for all intents and purposes. But um, I, I would like to believe that, you know, dealing with injuries – and dealing with the changes that come with playing the AHL, this has been a pretty humbling couple of years for him. I would, yeah. I would have to believe that, um, based on what I've seen of him skating in the, you know, in the informal skates with with other Sabers, and then at the Prospects Challenge, 
sure seems like he's learned a lot of these lessons. I, he's got to be consistent. I think consistency has always been the issue with him, but he looks like he's, he's figured some stuff out. Um, I think he'll still be in Rochester to start, but I don't think that's a punishment. I think that's, I think that most of this, you know, most of the young guys in this camp are, are going to be probably ending up there. But, um, but he has, he's different in that he has the talent and the ability, the natural ability to be able to force the hand and say, he's playing too good. We got to keep him. And if you keep him at the NHL level, he's a guy that, I mean, he might thrive being around guys that are at that more elite level as opposed to the AHL where it's not quite as good. And to me, that's when that's the case with a player, I always worry because you don't want that guy to sag when he, if he has to go back. But you also don't want to think that maybe he, you know, and this isn't the case with Alex, but that he's sandbagging just because he just wants to be in the NHL. You don't want, you know, because that's an attitude problem thing. And sure. I, I don't think that's the case for him. But I think he finally, it's, it's finally realized for him that it's, you know, hey, I got to get really serious about this and really push and, and do what the coaches are telling me or else, you know, he's going to, he's going to end up being a permanent fixture in Rochester and then probably back to Sweden. We could talk about the top of this roster forever, but what I really want is your take on how you think the bottom six forwards are going to look on this team this season compared to maybe the past few years where it seemed like they really got anything from the bottom six, which is sure, you know, that, that led to a lot of problems and probably a lot of the reason why this team has stunk as bad as they have because they get nothing from their bottom six. Do you like this bottom six much better going into this camp right now? Uh, I do. I, I do because it's they're better players. You know, you add Sabotka and you add Berglund from St. Louis. And, you know, I think Berglund, you could see him get teased a little bit on the second line uh, on occasion. But uh, you add those two guys and you've still got Jason Pominville, who very sneakily had his best goal scoring year since 1415 uh, last year, which I don't think anybody. I, I didn't know that. I had no idea. Yeah. I had no clue that you just said that. <laughs> but I mean, you, you add him and then, you know, then you've got Larson and, and Gergensen's who are going to be under duress getting pushed by by these young guys and Tage Thompson. And, you know, you've got Bailey, you've got Baptiste. And I you, you add guys like you did, like they did from the Blues and you add, you know, foreign guys into the mix like Olafson and Asplund who are, you know, they're always Sabres guys. But now they're here. Now they're in North America where, right. you know, they're right in these guys faces to basically tell them, like, listen, if you don't have it. You ain't going to be here. And I, I think there, that threat really hasn't been there in the last couple of years. And I don't think that those guys have really had that kind of stress because, you know, it was either internal competition with other guys at that same level where, you know, they're probably going to end up playing with them at some point, whether it's in Buffalo or Roch. But, you know, now there's now there's guys up here or guys that are going to be in camp where you're thinking like, geez, well, I, you know, I don't want to go on waivers. I don't want to have to maybe end up somewhere else. I want to be in Buffalo. I like it here. And, right. But they don't want to end up in Roch either. So it's, it's truly a put up or shut up time. And I think that only benefits Buffalo because the depth is better down the lineup and you're, you're not having to rely on guys who a lot of these guys, they haven't really shown at the NHL level that, that they've been able to perform. But uh, to me, that's, that makes that that bottom six better, and I think that's that that's only a good thing. And that was the biggest key out of trading O'Reilly. It's like, yeah, you lose O'Reilly, you lose everything that he does, but the you know the bottom end of your of your forward group ends up being a lot better for it. Sure does. What's your confident level of Casey Middlestap potentially being able to handle a number two center role for the Sabers this year? You think that's something that 
can happen, something that will happen? And are you confident that he can't handle it if it does? I I feel very conflicted on Casey just because you're asking a lot of a 19-year-old. Yep. And these are big step-ups for him. You know, I, I think people forget that, you know, before he went to Minnesota, he was playing high school hockey. He was playing in the USHL for a little bit. But, you know, he was playing in high school. And, you know, you're talking about a kid who's two years removed from playing high school hockey. And, you know, I, I it, it feels like it's a lot different than Jack, where you knew Jack was going to jump in right away. And he was going to be good immediately. Mm-hmm. And you just he had everything about him. He had the it factor. And you knew he was going to be good. Now, Casey has all of these he has all of these abilities. He has the the you know the hands. He's got the shot. He's got the creativity. He's got all these things, and they're just and I can't put my finger on it what it is, but I worry. And I'm not saying he's not cut out for it. I'm not saying he can't succeed because he's going to succeed. It, it's just it's just a question of whether it's going to be right now or if it's going to be a year from now or in December or maybe in a month. I you know he looked really good in the, the six games that he played at the end of the year. But when you're putting him at that number two center spot, man, that's that's hard. Those matchups right. are tough. And he's going to have good line mates. I mean, you don't have to worry about that. He's either going to have Sherry or Skinner, and he's probably going to have Kyle Opozo on the right side. So, you know, he's going to have guys there that will help him out. But, man, it's just, it's a lot. It's a lot of responsibility. And, you know, the, the centers on this team are going to be asked to do a lot more defensively because O'Reilly's not there. And I think that, that responsibility is going to fall on the guys like – like Berglund, like Sabaka, like Larson or Asplin, maybe, maybe Gergensen's, you know. But when it comes down to it, I mean, that's that's still asking a ton. And it's just I, I'm nervous about it. And I'm nervous for him because, you know, you, you want to see a kid like that have great success. But, you know, all he said at dev camp was he likes the pressure. He feeds off the pressure. So I hope that's true because he's going to have it almost immediately. Probably. How much can the addition – of one player change the culture and vibe of the team because winning the draft not only nets the Sabres, you know, a potential generational player and Rasmus Dahlin, but it also feels like from the outside has kind of changed the entire vibe of the organization and the atmosphere around town when it comes to fans. Because, I mean, let's face it, you've been in that building many, many times. The atmosphere in that building has often stunk over the last few years. And getting a guy like that, it kind of feels like, you know, you trade for Skinner and Skinner's a good player and he's definitely going to help this team. But it's like, you know, the casual fans, like, all right, man, that's cool. You know, it'll help. But you get a guy like Darlene in there, and it's like, bam, excitement's through the roof. At least that's the way it feels to me right now. It was funny. Uh, fans basically put the jerseys away in, what, December last yeah, season? Yeah, You know, I, I, you know, everybody took the Bills jerseys out, and I don't think the Sabres jerseys really made much of a public appearance, you know, from that point on to the end of the season. Uh, but once they, once they won the lottery and once they picked Darlene, it was immediate. You know, everybody had the jerseys out. Uh, suddenly everybody's in blue and gold again. And you're like, wait, OK, this is this is a big deal. And then you see him score a kind of a lucky goal at the at the at the uh, the prospects challenge. And he gets a standing ovation that just didn't relent for a while. And you're like, all right, OK. And then you see the way all these players talk about him and then, you know, getting asked, you know, where were they when the lottery happened? Or were they when Darlene's drafted? And they just all get a huge smile. And they're all so ex- – like every single player is excited about this. So you, you get you get a talent like that and it just, you know, it just kind of falls in your lap. That changes everything. And I think that's 
it's just a huge relief for everybody in that room. Now, granted, you know, I think maybe some of the defensemen down the lineup might be a little worried because, you know, hey, that, that could end up being they're playing somewhere else eventually, you know, right. pretty soon. But um, but you add a guy like that and it just changes the outlook for everybody. I mean, you know, you saw the smile on Phil Housley's face after they drafted him and he's, you know, he just looks like the proudest dad possible. And, you know, it's a guy who's like out of his sort of mold and, you add somebody like that, and it's just it, it's just such a huge boost. It's not even it's a relief. It's just it's just a huge lift because now they got that guy in the back end who can deliver him the puck, who can who can jump in the rush and be responsible and do all the things that you see guys like Carlson or Dowdy or Hedman or any of these other top level elite defensemen do. And now they've got him. Now they you know the one thing that was always missing was a de- was a defenseman that could do anything to help move the puck. And now they've got probably the the next great one back there that's i mean it's it it's crazy to talk about and i think i've said this to people i said if this kid has three you know great seasons he'll automatically be the greatest defenseman in sabers history because they've never had a guy like that right like housley's probably the last guy who's at all similar maybe maybe brian campbell but but he like got you know housley was great campbell's not in that not in that discussion you know mike ramsey's not in that discussion you know, Craig Ramsey's not that this guy. I mean, they're all great players when they were here, but but man, Darlene's got a chance to be an all-time great. And I think that's a part where I think a lot of fans and even some of the players might have a hard time digesting it because it's so it's something that hasn't ever really been discussed here before. It's never happened. One more Sabres question here, okay? We're just starting camp, but I'm gonna I'm gonna put you on the spot right away. How good do you think the 2018-19 Buffalo Sabres realistically are gonna be? Uh, I think they can be, I think they can be an 80 to 85 point team. I know that sounds like that's terrible and it's not that great, but they've got some stuff to figure out. And I'm, you know, I, I, I'm a big Carter Hutton fan, but I don't think he's going to put up a 931 save percentage all, all this season. I don't, I just, I would find that hard to believe given, you know, the, they got all kinds of adjustments to make. They've added nine new people to the team. You know, you've got all kinds of stuff where it's like, I don't know. There's a there's a lot of questions, and they need they would need a lot of stuff to break right. But you know, they added Skinner. That makes the offense go a lot more. You know, if they can keep them, that's even better. Um, if Casey plays outstanding, if Skinner plays great, if Sherry fits in and he he jumps in and immediately scores twenty to twenty five, this team's going to be a lot of fun. I think they're going to be a fun team to watch. It's not going to be a boring 80 to 85. I think they're going to be a really exciting team to watch. But I, as far as playoffs go, I I just I can't see it right now. But, hey, we saw two non-playoff teams that nobody thought were going to make the playoffs make it last year in New Jersey and Colorado. And weird things happen. You know, the, the division's a murder, murderer's row with the top three. But, man, you look at Montreal, you look at Ottawa, you look at Detroit. Those teams are going to be god-awful this season. All three of them are going to be awful. And the only team, you know, you have to look at it as a battle between Buffalo and Florida to see who's going to take the most advantage of that. Because, you know, Tampa, Toronto and Boston are are going to feast on them. But you have but if you're playing those games against Ottawa, Detroit, Montreal, you got to you got to look at those as must have two point nights and then figure it out the rest of the way. Metropolitan Division is going to be evil. Um, you know, the Islanders look like they're going to be awful, but they're going to play hard. Barry Trotz teams don't, don't sit back, but I think, I think 80 to 85 is, is probably about 
where they'll be. I think anything under 80 is going to be pretty disappointing. I agree. Before I get to our mini lightning round conclusion, I want to wrap about chicken wings for a second here. I love chicken wings. <laughs> Everyone who listens to this show or follows my Twitter knows that shit. I, I saw a little story that you told on Twitter earlier this week about Barbell and East Aurora and their wings. Tell us that story. What is it? Well, I, a friend of mine was in town uh, for work and I've been taking her around, taking around to different spots for wings. And, you know, we, we were going down to East Aurora for some beers. We go to 42 North and uh, check them out. Outstanding brewery. They make some great stuff. And I say, well, we're here. We better go to Barbell. And we go in there. We each get we each get a beef on whack because you know you, you get that they're cutting it in front of you. It's amazing. Oh, it's great. Yep. Just it's masterful. And we're, we get wings. And the last time I had gone to Barbell was a couple months ago, because I was itching for some Barbell wings. I was like, I gotta have them. And I go there and I, you know, went in the afternoon because I didn't want to be around a crowd or anything like that. I'm kind of an antisocialite like that, but. <laughs> um, I go to the bar and I say, I was like, you know, I've been getting a taste for hot. I've never been really like a hot wing guy. Like you know, medium does me fine. Me too. So this time I was, I was like, Hey, let's get, let's get, I was like, I'm going to get some hot. And you know, the bartender goes, she goes, she goes, the hot's really hot. And I figure I've been to enough places where it's like, yeah, they tell you that, but do you really believe it? Yeah. This case I was like, all right, okay, fine. She's like, how about medium hot? I said, okay, that, that, that'll do fine. So I get the medium hot and they were definitely harder on the side of medium. So I was like, this must be one of those places where they say, oh, our hot's really hot. Yuck, yuck, yuck. And it's not actually hot. So with this in mind, where the medium hot wasn't terribly hot at all, I was, you know, my friend and I walk in and I go, well, the medium hot was weak. So I said, the hots, they're probably just making fun. Like just whatever. They don't want people to get the hot. It's fine. And so we ordered up 20 hot because we were each getting the same same heat level. We're just like, whatever, we get 20 hot. I took one bite of the hot wing and I go, oh, we've made a terrible mistake. Because <laughs> I, I, you get the, you get that. And it's, it's different from the mimosas hot where the mimosas hot makes you sweat and you're, you're, you're feeling it. Yeah, I've had that. But you're not regretting it. You're, like, right. you're not a, just like, I can power through this. This is fine. Barbell through the brakes right on both of us because we were just like, this is, this is terrible. This is, this, this was a bad choice. And barbell <laughs> wings are great. Like they're some of the best in the, in the area, but the hot was just cripplingly hot. And I was determined, I was determined because we got 20 and we're sitting there and we, we each ate two and we're just like, I was like, how far did you get? <laughs> well, I caved in and asked the bartender for a little bit of milk because I was like, like I, I got to kill the heat. I got to eat more of these. Right. So I'm not going to take, cause he's going to be like, just take these home. And I'm like, I don't want these nuclear bombs sitting on my, <laughs> sitting on my counter at home. So I, so I get the milk and I just start drinking the milk and the milk does wonders. That is, that is the cover all save all because yeah. if try and wash them down with a beer doesn't help. Does not help in any way. So uh, I ended up eating 10. I think we, I ended up only having to take home six because my buddy only had four and he was ready to drop. He tapped and out. He's, yeah. he's always the guy who always gets them hot and, and he's good to go. But this time it just it broke. It broke both of us. But I was like I felt unbelievably guilty for recommending the hot. And I said, I'm, I got to take this one on the chin. I got to eat my <laughs> I got to eat my number and, and and take care of business. And and but milk was a savior that night. But. When, uh, if for anybody listening, if you go to Barbell and you're like, yeah, I can do the hot, don't do the hot. Just, just don't, don't do the hot. 
I'm the same way, man. I, there's there's lengths where I could deal with when it comes to hot. I got a couple buddies who will get the hot. I don't know how they do it. It doesn't even taste like anything. Some of these places when they make these suicide wings or whatever, it's yeah. just like straight up torture. That's all it is. Yeah. When you eat them that hot. I, I I'm a I was a fan of watching like you know Man vs Food and it seemed like he was always getting tortured into doing these like these disgustingly hot wing challenges where you know the, some of these places are evil and they're at, they're adding capsaicin extract you know they're putting like ninety ghost chilies into it and I'm just like, that's stupid like you're you're gonna go to the hospital at some point now mind you I. People might be listening to this and saying, like, well, the hot there is not so bad. You're just a big baby. And, hey, maybe true. Could be very true. But for the regular wing-goer, if you're thinking you can muscle up and do the hot, get, like, five of them and see and see how it treats you. Yeah. Get half hot, half whatever the hell else, and just run with it. I'm going to give somebody a little bit of free advertising besides Barbell here. Before we get to the mini lighting round, give me a couple of your favorite other spots that you like to go to for wings. Uh, my favorite, well, I, I live basically downtown. So Gabriel's gate is my always, I've had forever they're good. It's they're the, they are my, one of my all time favorites. Another one for me is nine 11 tavern. That's number uh, one on my list. So that's South Buffalo, man. Like if you get there and they're open and they're making wings, yeah. you're in heaven. Like, and getting me, the them sauce, half the battle. Yeah. Yeah. The sauce is what sets it apart because I, I, and I'm almost positive. They add chopped garlic to the sauce. And it makes it just a little bit different. The sauce is a little different from everywhere else. And they just make them, they make them that perfect level of crispy between how Gabriel's Gate does it and the way Barbell does it, where it's like right perfect in the middle. And then the sauce is out of this world. Those two, I like, I like Mamosers a lot. And I love the uh, McCarthy style wings at, at uh, McCarthy's. I've never uh, had those. Barbecue wings with crumbled blue cheese on them. Nice. That's, I'll, I'll definitely that's the McCarthy those. style. That is absolutely worth getting all right so like i do with most of my guests we're going to end this with a mini lightning round i'm just going to ask you a handful of random questions no deep thought required whatever the first thing that pops in your mind that's your answer i'm just like i said a couple of random things all right you ready i'm ready your all-time favorite hockey player all-time favorite oh well it's the guy that just stepped down steve eiserman um just my all just my all-time favorite guy i'll give you a quick story it took me three years to say hello to him when I would see him at the arena really? uh, because I was, you know, I talked to uh, talked to a hundred other hundred thousand other people before, but I'd see Iserman and I was just like, oh man, it's Steve. Holy crap. Steve Iserman's in the elevator with me. This is, this is awesome. This is all. Awesome. And by the time, you know, I, I work up the gumption, we're already on to the media level and he's gone. I'm just like, well, that was good. Cool. Glad, <laughs> glad that went well. Didn't embarrass myself. So, but yeah, it took me, took me three years to finally work up, work up the courage to say hello to him. What's your favorite non-sports related activity to do? Uh, I love going to shows, music, like concerts. Um, I've got my like favorite bands to go to, but, uh, give me a live act. If I, if I'm out someplace and if I'm at a bar specifically to have beers with people, I don't want, I don't want a band, but if there's a show and I'm in for a show, like take me to the show. I just live live music is always it for me. Favorite city to visit. <sighs> Montreal. Montreal's just, it's like being in Europe, but you're not in Europe and you get, you get all kinds of wild, like it looks like you're in Europe. The people look like they're European. They dress like it's a European fashion show. The food's out of this world and it's, 
it, it's either always winter or it's always the death of summer up there. It does. There's no fall. There's no spring. It's either, you know, stupid hot or like unbelievably cold. Who's the most entertaining fellow hockey beat reporter, you know, and he doesn't have to be from Buffalo either. It could be anyone. Ooh, most entertaining. Uh, I got to go with, um, I'm going to say Scott Burnside, fellow, a fellow athletic row. I think we're all athletic writers now, but, uh, <laughs> but no, Scott, no, Scott Burnside's one of my favorites. He's just a joy to be around. He's always got some incredible stories and he's just, he's like the, he's the king of the social circle for us. He's, he's the man. What's the best sports movie ever in your opinion? <sighs> best or most entertaining? Uh, both. If they're if they're different to you, if you got two different ones, I'd say both. Uh, most entertaining for me is still Slapshot. Slapshot for me just kills me every damn time. Yeah, it's a classic. Uh, the best one. Uh, I, I sound so stereotypical. It's Miracle. I love Kurt Russell as Herb Brooks. I think that's that that's my favorite. You really are a hockey guy through and through, man. <laughs> if you had never gotten involved in journalism or broadcasting in any capacity at all, sports just didn't work out for you for whatever reason, what do you think you may have done with your life? Probably would have gotten into nonprofit work, um, charity work. Um, I was really, I was years and years ago, I was really close to, to landing a job with Make-A-Wish and that was something I was really excited to try to do. And I didn't get the job. So I think everything works for a reason. That's cool. Second last question here. If Twitter sent you a note and said, hey, Joe, you're only allowed to follow one person on Twitter and one person only, who would that one person be? Um, you know what? I'm going to go with uh, I'm going to go with Biz Nasty, Paul Bizanet, because he still he still cracks me up. He's not as he's not as wild gun as he used to be, but I, I'm I'm still a big fan of Paul's. Last question here. OK. Same thing I asked all my guests. You could have three dinner guests from any era, dead or alive. It could be a celebrity. It could be a family member. It could be a stranger. It doesn't matter who it is. Three people, dead or alive, any era, who you got? Uh, first pick is Teddy Roosevelt. Um, just a, he, the most fascinating president as far as, I, as far as I'm concerned. I would pick uh, Muhammad Ali because I think he's he's out of this, like, just just an all-time unbelievable human. And number three, I would probably invite, uh, I think I would bring my, I think it would be my grandmother. Um, she passed a few years ago, but I think she would have been, she would have been the right person to balance out the table with, with myself and Teddy and Muhammad Ali. I think she would have been, <laughs> she would have been, she would have been, been the right person to kind of, to kind of cut the tension down and just be like the sweet, perfect grandma. <laughs> You know what? I lied. I actually do got one more thing. Where did the noted jerk moniker come from? Obviously, I think you're not a jerk and it's a joke. At least, <laughs> at least I don't think you're a jerk anyway. But where did that come from? I hear it all the time on Twitter on some, you know, on YouTube. I've seen some TV stuff that you've done, things like that. What's the noted jerk thing all about? Well, that that came about uh, while I was at NBC and it came about from my coverage of the Coyotes, the ever, ever running Coyotes. Um, are they moving? Are they not saga? And it came, it came from a group of fans in Arizona who were, who were very convinced that I was, that the, the, that my coverage of the team meant that I wanted them to leave Arizona. Now, you know, the facts getting in the way of the story were that, you know, I went to Arizona for a week You know, I talked with uh, tons of people in the organization, talked to Shane Doan, talked to, uh, you know, talked to the coaches, talked to the G and talked to everybody, talked with the fans in Arizona and went to a couple of games there. And I said, 
it's like, man, this whole setup here is great. Like, this is awesome. I I hope they don't leave. And but it was too easy to make fun of the the, the goofball backwater city council, and you know how they were you know getting all this attention. And I was making fun of them, and a lot of people took that to mean that I was. Uh, that I was rooting for the team to be relocated to, you know, Winnipeg or Quebec or wherever, you know, wherever else. But um, somebody had made up a, a, like a art poster uh, involving the media that were that were covering the story the hardest, and it was uh, myself, uh, Greg Wyshynski, and I think it was Tony Gallagher from uh, the Vancouver province. And they put us all on there, and they said these are the noted jerks of media, and and <laughs> I remember Greg. <laughs> Somebody tried to throw the hashtag at Greg once, and Greg said, "Uh-uh, no way, man. That's they've been throwing that at Joe for a while." And I said, "I said thanks, man. That's that's really cool." But you know, a couple people did it, and I retweeted the one guy who, who called me that. And I was like, "Yep, that's me. Huge noted jerk right here." And a lot of my a lot of my followers at the time were were like, "Yeah, this guy's a real asshole. Yeah, oh, what a jerk." And it just took off from there. So now it's just like the biggest running running joke going because. I'm I'm not a jerk <laughs> in any way. <laughs> I try I try to be as nice as I as I humanly possibly can, but um, but it's nice to be able to throw that down in case people get lippy at me on Twitter, and then I can just actually be a total prick, and then people are like, "Oh, no, the jerk's back!" Yeah, great. <laughs> and I'm like, "Yep, that's yep, exactly. Got it. Cool." So yeah, long story short. Um, which is way too late for that now, but yeah, it's, it's, it's about like an eight, eight year long running joke now. All right, man. Well done. Joe Yurden, totally not a noted jerk. Give him a follow <laughs> on Twitter at Joe Yurden. Continue success for you and the athletic band. This was great. This was a lot of fun. I'm glad I had you on. No, Pat, thanks for the invite. I've been, I've been eager to get on with you and, and talk some wings and talk some, uh, talk some, talk some media stuff with you. It's, this is, this is a thrill. All right, Joe, let's talk about the Buffalo Bills right away. Let's get right into it. I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about last Sunday's game anymore, mainly because I know you're still angry about it. You'll go on a long rant. And by now, that game's kind of old news. But just one game did result in a very, very big change, and that's the Josh Allen era. It's officially beginning. Sean McDermott made that official on Wednesday afternoon. He announced that Josh Allen will be starting Sunday versus the Chargers. What's your thoughts on that? Well, it's a it's a tough move for me personally because I've been kind of in that camp of don't start Josh Allen until later this season because I'm a little bit more right scared about him coming into this into this with uh, having the lack of weapons he has the offensive line everything we've talked about ad nauseum since we started doing this podcast sure. but you know I I completely understand where. McDermott's coming from he he just witnessed his boy Peterman having another horrible performance on Sunday I mean it was it was terrible it's incredulous to me how Peterman is still on this team and what they even saw in him there has been nothing that I have seen in those games he's played regular season wise 
And he's lucky. He going back to that Colts game last year. He's lucky that there was a blizzard there and they, they they couldn't throw the football because if he had to throw the football, they probably would have lost that game. So didn't he get I hurt did too? Yeah, Peterman got hurt. Yeah, he, he got concussed in that game. And uh, I get it. Like they they had no choice. I guess you know I would have I would have probably I would have signed a veteran like today and then maybe rolled with Peterman a couple more weeks and then have the veteran come in. And then keep waiting on Josh Allen because again, if Josh Allen was ready from the start of training camp, the re- you know the preseason, if he showed anything like they liked, he would be starting right now. Again, this is an organization that last year they played a bunch of rookies. They benched Tyrod for Peterman. They got the balls to put rookies in there, and for them to kind of you know be waiting on it a little bit tells me that Josh Allen isn't ready. But you. Can- you can't roll Peterman out there for 15 weeks. The, the fan base will kill will kill the Bills. During that press conference, Sean McDermott said that the final decision ultimately was his. Do you believe that entirely? Or do you think that Brandon Bean and or maybe even the Pagulas, that they didn't have a direct say in who's starting Sunday, that they at least influenced Sean McDermott's decision? Uh, I mean, McDermott sounded pissed when he started that press conference, man. And I don't know if it was he was yeah. pissed because it got leaked out, agitated for or, sure. Yeah, or he he was pissed that it was leaked, or maybe he was pissed that they they made him, you know, made him bench him. Now, I, when I mean mean like they, I don't think they came in there whether it's Bean or the Pugulas and said you got you got to you got to make a change. They could have like steered it that way, like you know, man, like your boy looked like shit on Sunday. You may want to make a change, and look couple of things I want to say. First and foremost, Brandon Bean, he is lockstep with McDermott. This isn't like a – it doesn't feel to me like this is a Belichick type of regime where it's Belichick and everyone else underneath him. This It feels more like it's McDermott and Bean as like your co-owners, like co-guys for the football operations. Right. Bean is not attached to, to Nathan Peterman. He was not here when he got drafted, and Bean is a guy who – when he was at Carolina, you know, and he's been, he was there for a while. He was there longer than McDermott. They had this thing where, you know, they, they played Jimmy Clausen, a second round pick, the first pick in the, uh, in the, in the second round of that draft. They paid, they uh, played him for 15 games his rookie year. And then the following year, they played Cam Newton for 16 games. Clausen was horrible as a rookie. Newton was really good as a rookie. So, you know, I think that could have something to do with it. Maybe he was like, hey, look, we got to play him. We, we, you know, that's what you do. And then the Pagulas. Look, the Pagulas are always involved. They have been involved since day one. They were involved when Greg Roman got fired, when the players had meetings, and they were there for that. So, yeah, they they, they might have been like, dude, like, like we want Josh Allen. They like Josh Allen. They went to go visit him when they were going on, like, their little trips with Brandon Bean and McDermott to go visit all these quarterbacks. So, yeah, I think they're, they're a bit of an influence on it. I feel hypocritical to give out an opinion on what I think they should be doing at quarterback because I thought that Nate Peterman earned the job based on McDermott saying all along that this was going to be a fair and open competition where all three guys would have a fair opportunity. Because if you do that and you go by that, I think Peterman was the best. However, he was just, I mean, saying he was a disaster is being too generous. It's worse than that. He's been involved now in two of the worst quarterback games I've ever seen. So I don't know how you don't go to the next guy. I don't care if it's Josh Allen or whoever it may be. And I did want to discuss a tweet from Jeremy White from WGR, who, by the way, I very often disagree with his takes. But in this case, I personally, maybe you disagree, 
But I think he hit the nail on this t- on this tweet, and he wrote, and I'm quoting here: "There's taking a step back because you put your young QB in, and he has to go through some growing pains. Then there's taking a step to being one of the worst teams in the league while your young QB doesn't even go through those growing pains." He's saying that if this team's going to suck, regardless, then I think even Sean McDermott and Bean know that they're going to suck. Then why waste your time having Peterman continue this charade? Everyone knows he's not the answer. Hell, I think even Nate Peterman knows that he's not the answer. Do you agree with Jeremy White's tweet based on that, that maybe that's the reason why Josh Allen should play? Because if you're going to suck, suck with the young kid who's going to maybe grow and get something out of this. I would rather not do that. Josh Allen is coming into a situation where I feel he's going to fail because he's going to be around a shit offensive line, shit skilled position guys and wide receivers, a new system, a very tough schedule. And I think I think back to all the examples that people have laid out about guys who came in to that were surrounded by a bad team. Tim Couch, Derek, Derek Carr. There's been a few other guys who have come in and they've gotten their asses handed to them. And again, since day one, Josh Allen has been promoted as this guy is a project. This is not a guy coming from USC. This is not a guy coming from the, a, a conference where he dominated. He was okay to good at this mountain fucking conference. And he that's not good. Usually guys in that conference who get drafted that high, they should be dominant. And we always we heard everything like, oh, he the reason why he wasn't dominant was because, well, the, the team around him sucked. Well, what are you doing now? You're gonna put him in you're gonna put him on a team that sucks. And you know, that's 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 where I would just wait it out because you don't you don't know. He, I, and I'm not talking about getting hurt. I'm talking about like getting that like like you get you you get frazzled. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you know you're you're like taking you you get you're getting the blitz. Look, I've seen guys. Look, at, I've seen quarterbacks like Trent Edwards who like couldn't who couldn't throw down the field anymore. You know, in in terms of like being worried about like you know them kicking his ass, like you know what I mean. That that happens. You know, Rob Johnson, I remember back in the day was kind of like that as as well. Like you know you. It's 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 easy for these quarterbacks to like get frightened and like go into bad habits when they're when they're surrounded by crappy talent. And again, for, for the for me for the one hundredth time, he's coming. He is a project. That's that's what it was. That's what everyone told us. Like this guy is a project. And I think it's worrisome that they had waited to do this because if he was any good in the preseason, he would have got this job. And I'll say this, you know, you, when you, before, before your question, you talked about Peterman, like he deserved it. I think Peterman was more like, he got lucky with the rotation of the quarterback play. He got lucky that he played that first preseason game instead of that second preseason game. When uh, Greg Williams was trying to win the Super Bowl and was blitzing the shit out of AJ McCarron. He got lucky in that regards. And again, that just shows you once and for all preseason is garbage. Don't ever read into it. Think of what you were thinking about back in March. And if I had told you, Pat, hey, Pat, the Bills are going to have Peterman start from day one and not the first round pick, you would have told me you're, you're fucking crazy. They're going to go out and get a veteran. Not, not, they're not going to start Peterman. And what do they do? They start Peterman and pff, it blew up in their face. I guess it comes down to a question of, do you think that going in there and kind of getting your ass kicked every week, looking bad, I mean, he'll have his moments, of course, because he does have talent. But getting your ass kicked on a shitty team every week for the time being, is it long-term beneficial to you? Is that going to make you better by taking your lumps now, so to speak, and losing every week? 
and, you know, getting beat on blitzes and making bad decisions, doing that now, is it going to help them in the future or is it going to have a detrimental effect where getting your ass kicked like this week might make bad for bad habits. He might start throwing the ball quicker than he should. He might be making a lot of mistakes just because he's on a bad team that has long-term ramifications where it doesn't help him in the future. And there's been cases for both sides. Like you mentioned a bunch, bunch of guys who are on terrible teams who never made it. They never didn't amount to anything. Then you got a guy like Troy Aikman who played on a team. Who I think they were what one in 15 his first year. He got sacked like a million times. He turned out to be a hall of famer, not saying Josh Allen is going to be a hall of famer. You know what I mean? But yeah, it, it does make for a very interesting debate. And I, I guess at the end of the day, it's, is the kid ready? And if he's not ready, you should have never, ever traded A.J. McCarron. That's probably my biggest thing. They should not have traded A.J. McCarron if they weren't very confident that if Peterman were to falter or get hurt, let's say he played great against Baltimore, but he, but he broke his leg. It was stupid to do it. And I said it last week on the podcast. Like, why would you do it now? You know, when A, teams tend to be more desperate during the regular season because you never know. A team could have an injury. Like what if what if what if Carr got hurt in Oakland and then like John Green's like, oh crap, I need I need a quarterback. Then he calls the Bills and goes, Hey, I'll give you more for AJ McCarron than a fifth rounder. People are more desperate. That's why they uh that's why the Browns last year they wanted AJ McCarron because their quarterback play was horrible and their original guy, I forgot who it was, it wasn't Kaiser, their original guy got hurt. And then, you know, why would you do that? And then second, we, we you had no idea what Peterman was going to be, really. And then we found out that he's horrible. You know, and, and when I say you don't know what Peterman's going to be, it's like, at worst, you don't, you, you don't know. And uh, that was, you know, that was obviously stupid by them. I'll say this, with the, with the pain your dues, like, through your pain, like, I can't really think of too many guys over the last, like, 10, 12 years who had, who were, like, really bad their rookie years. You know what I mean? And got the the shit kicked out of him. And then the next year they played really well. I mean, maybe Jared Goff, I guess you could say, but like, I felt Goff got better because they got better weapons around him and they got really better coaching. I mean, he did struggle at first, like when he, like he came in like midway through the season and he was not very good. And I'll say this, Mahomes, who had four touchdowns on Sunday, looked awesome. Do you think Mahomes, if he started his... I know it was his second game, but like if he had started the opener last year in Kansas City, does he throw for four touchdowns? Sitting and observing veterans, I think works. You know, it, it, it helps. You, you're in the meetings. You're doing more. You're practicing. It helps. Look, I've seen guys. I've seen Philip Rivers sit on his ass for two years and then just become lights out once when they once they traded Drew Brees. He was awesome. I saw Aaron Rodgers do it when Brett Favre finally left. You're going to tell me that if they started as rookies, they were going to be lights out. I don't think they would have been. I think they would have, they would have, they would have struggled, you know? So it's, 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 it's again, it's a double edged sword where, as you said, I see both points. I see points of why you should sit them. Cause there are guys who do do well when they sit and then they come back. And then there's guys who don't do well, who sit like Jake Locker was a guy. I remember he was a guy that they sat the first year in Tennessee and he sucked. Jamarcus Russell, same thing. They had him sit for a year. He sucked yeah. too. So it's it's tough to to really think about it to really gauge. You know, you have to like you have to trust the coaches at the end of the day, and they've they've done a shit job when it comes to evaluating the quarterback so far. Well, I think it goes by a quarterback to quarterback basis. You can look at it the other way. Sam Darnold started his first game as a rookie. I mean, yeah. albeit against Detroit, and he looked great. Regardless, let me ask you this though: 
Is this the end of Nate Peterman? Obviously, it's the end of him as a starter. But even as a dependable backup quarterback, I mean, he's, he's got to be shot at this point. He's had two chances now, and he hasn't lasted a full game in either. Do you think the Bills might look for a veteran backup to sign now and say, see you later to Nate Peterman? Because I just cannot see this kid coming back from what's happened. Well, first of all, I think he's done in terms of like – I. I you should not start Nathan Peterman unless you're you're down to your fourth quarterback. Okay, like that's it. Or or your your or Vince McMahon calls him to to join the XFL as the backup. Um, he's he was terrible in terms of like what they're gonna do. They should go after a veteran, but they haven't. I don't know why they haven't signed a veteran. And I I you know in terms of cutting him or trading him, I don't think they're gonna do it. I I, I don't know what the cap ramific- ramifications are like. Does that mean they're going to get more dead cap because they're going to cut a second round or a, a former fifth rounder? I'm curious what the cap, you know, stuff is on there. And again, you know, <laughs> McDermott loves him. He's smitten by him. McDermott loves his guys. Okay, that's just how it's always been since they took over. You know, and I, I can't I think see him coming him- back from this. So I just can't. No, like in terms of coming back, I, I, I mean, I, when, when you mean coming back, do you mean like they're going to cut him? Playing no, or... playing well. Whether it whether Josh Allen falters, gets hurt, something where Peterman's got to come back in the game and play again. God forbid he's got to start the following week because something happened with Josh Allen. I just think he's mentally shot after this. I don't know how he bounces back from being this disastrous two straight times. The fans hate him. Not that the fans matter. Okay, that doesn't really mean shit. Let's be honest. Nate Peterman does not give two shits what Pat Moran or Joe say about him, nor any. Well, of what the about fans, his teammates? Nor the media. His teammates. His That's teammates may fucking hate That's the touch. question. I don't think they hate him. I can't see a scenario where they have any confidence in him, though, at all. If there he comes in the game for whatever reason, his teammates are probably saying, "Oh, fucking shit, man!" You know, here we go again. Here we yeah. go. You're gonna make us all look bad. I just don't see him coming back. Yeah, I mean, they should get a veteran, but again, they haven't gotten one. They traded They traded the veteran. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it doesn't look like I, such I a great trade now, does it? doesn't look no, like such doesn't. a great trade. Not now, it doesn't. No. But, you know, then again, hey, you got a fifth rounder for next year. They know they're going to suck. Why not get an extra pick, I guess? It doesn't really matter who the backup is. They're, they're going to stink regardless. And speaking of stinking, dude, Stephen A. Smith's crazy ass had a hot take on the Bills. That may or may not be a huge exaggeration. He tweeted, and again, I quote, there's a legitimate chance that this year's Buffalo Bills may be the worst NFL team we've seen this decade. Forget records like the 0-16 teams in Detroit and Cleveland. I ain't talking record. I'm just saying they are god-awful. Is there any worse than Peterman? Hashtag Lordy. Is Stephen A. on point right there, or is this a gross exaggeration when he says, this may be the worst team this decade. I mean, I think I think so far this may be the worst Bills team I've ever seen, and I've been watching the Bills for since 1989. Um, in terms of him, look, that's ESPN. They always they always throw hyperbole in and whatnot. I mean, they're on their way to being bad. I mean, again, I was going to say, but lost- is he wrong though? I, I, I'd have to look at all. The, I'd have to look at all every single shitty team that's been that's played this decade. Um, but talent wise, it look, it's bad. It's a shitty team. Okay. They don't have any, like, aside from the Sean McCoy, they don't really have any star players and he's 30, you know, it's a shitty team. I mean, I don't think it's, I don't think it's like out of the question for him to say that. Like, it's not like, Oh my God, but like they, 
They lost 47-3 to Baltimore, a team that was 9-7 last year that had Joe Flacco destroy your defense, a defense that you put money into, that you, that's supposed to be your, your bread and butter. Let's get like, to that. Let's get right to terrible. that. I'm glad you said that because, you know, for a team to be historically bad, whether it's the worst team in the decade, the worst team of the year, the worst team in franchise history, whatever you want to label it, for that to happen, it takes more than just having a pathetic offense. And we know the Bills' offense is pathetic. No one's going to deny that. But you're not very fond of this Bills' defense right now either, are you? No, not at all. They they are fucking lucky that the offense sucked this week. Because if the offense like was at least had a pulse and like you know put up I don't know twenty one points, they would be getting fried like it was like they're fried chicken right now. That defense was horrible on Sunday, and I think that's to me. That is the most disconcerting thing that came out of Sunday because we, you and I both talked about this. Hey, offense is going to suck this year. Offense is going to suck, you know, blah, blah, blah. We talked about it ad nauseum. The defense was supposed to be like, oh, hey, it's going to be middle of the pack, blah, blah, blah. They looked horrible on Sunday. They couldn't get any pass rush going. The secondary wasn't very good. They made Joe Flacco look good. You give up a second and 26th. <laughs> for a first down, like they don't even do yeah, that. Yeah, Gaines was twisted around like a pretzel. He had no clue where it was, he was. It was terrible. And the, I think the most concerning thing is this: you have invested money into this defense. I was doing the cap numbers, and in terms of free agency and guys they brought in, they have put in about hundred and thirty-five million dollars into the defense. And again, this is like total, you know, total contracts. And again, contracts are bullshit. But right. you're talking Starla Tua. You're talking about Trent Murphy, Marcus High. Poyer, Vontae Davis, they have put about $135 million into that defense. And this is what you get out of it is 47 to three. Like this is supposed, this, this defense is like one or two is supposed to be one to two players away from being like, all right, Hey, we're set here. And instead they look like they're seven players away and they just look terrible. And again, you have to, I think you have to question like their building methods right now because you put so much money into that defense and it's not looking good. And then you put nothing into your offense where right now, Pat DeMarco's your, your biggest free agent acquisition you've made in two years, a fullback who played fucking one snap on Sunday. Who's your offensive captain too. Like it doesn't, they're, they're, they're again, I know they got another year or two probably, and this is a rebuild, but the, that defense and like the way they're allocating money right now is it's, it's very weird right now to me. They play the Chargers on Sunday. You know what? First, before that, though, what do you think of Stevie Johnson being the one to lead the charge for the Bills on Sunday at the stadium? It's awesome. I love Stevie Johnson. Me too. I, I th- he is the man. I, you know, in terms of, I think the biggest thing about, like, the drought is you always have these good players who you liked, and they kind of took away from the fact that the Bills were shitty. And Stevie, to me, was the best of that, of that crop. You know, for me, I know like there's Kyle Williams, there's there's Fred Jackson, you know, you can find probably a couple other guys. But Stevie to me was like he was like the millennial man where in terms of like the millennials liked him because he was brash. He was fun. He pissed off old white people, which I think is great. And he was fun. And he was he was a hell of a he was a very good football player. Those those three years he played here when he had a thousand yards in a row. And, you know, he he his footwork was always awesome and he was always fun. And I, I, I love him. I think, I think he's the man. I'm glad that he's coming back to, to lead the charge. You know, they, he's, uh, you know, he's definitely, he's not a wall of fame candidate or anything like that, but like him, you know, it's good to have him back in the good graces. Like he's awesome. I've always liked him. I agree. 
Look, this isn't really an in-depth game preview type of podcast. Go to the Bills B podcast with Joe B and Matt Fairborn if you want that. They do far better job than I could ever do. And we don't really do that. So let's just skip the preview. Give me a game prediction. It's the Bills home opener against the 0-1 Chargers with Josh Allen getting his first career start. Who you got? And give me a score. I would never I'm never picking the Bills as it stands right now. So I'm going with the Chargers 30, the Bills 10. It's gonna be ugly. Okay. They the, 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 that that Philip Rivers is they they had they dropped five hundred yards in total offense last week, you know, against Kansas City. So, you know, and he's always had our number too, Philip Rivers. I think that I I think the Chargers are gonna win too. However, I, I don't know. I just get the sense that there's going to be a little bit of that 2017 magic. Like a couple breaks are going to go their way, a couple turnovers, a couple tip passes, stuff like that. Josh Allen might do one or two good things. I do think the Chargers will pull it on in the end, but I think it's going to be much closer. I'm going to go Chargers 26, Bills 19. Seven, 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 a one-score game. That's what I see happening. No, nah, it's not going to happen. They're getting they're getting toasted. We, <laughs> the, the, we got the Titans game is like our only way out as of right now, or Detroit maybe. All right, Joe. Before we get out of here, we don't talk WWE much, not as much as I want to anyway. But there is a pay per view this weekend, Hell in a Cell, coming Sunday night. I do want to get some quick predictions from you. I'll run down the card, and you give me a quick outlook for each match. Let's start with the SmackDown Tag Team Titles. We got Rusev Day. Versus the New Day. It's I'm I want my heart says Rusev Day because they should have got the titles months ago. Um, uh, yes, I'm going Rusev Day. Rusev Day is gonna be gonna be New Day. Come on, like give the New Day's had the belts forever. They don't need the belts. Give them the Rusev Day. What about the on the Raw side? Okay, you got Dolphin McIntyre who just won the belts over to B Team a week or two ago against Rollins and Ambrose. What do you got? I I think it's gonna go. It's gonna. They're gonna retain. I don't. I don't think they would take them off. I don't think they would take them off the B team to have them lose like a week and a half later. I think. I think they want to. Again, Shield doesn't need the tag team belts. I think McIntyre and Dolph do because they're kind of newer guys in terms of trying to get over. And the other, you know, you don't need you Ambrose and and Rollins, Ambrose and Rollins are guys who can wrestle on their own. So I'm going with. I'm going with uh, Dolph. And uh, McIntyre retaining. Daniel Bryan and Brie Bella versus Miz and his wife Maurice. I think you got to go with with Daniel Bryan and Brie. I mean, only because Bryan lost to Miz at SummerSlam. I I think you have to go. They, he's got to get a win. I mean, I don't think you can go two nothing against Miz and and like and his wife. So. Anyway, I hate I hate Brie. I hate the Bellas. I, I can't stand them. <laughs> They're like John Cena and fucking Roman Reigns, like when we all hated them, but like with less talent. I hate them. I'm going to agree with you. I think Daniel Bryan gets the win here. I think he's going to get in that main event title picture really soon. Jeff Hardy versus Randy Orton, and they are wrestling inside Hell in a Cell. Well, that means Jeff Hardy's going to fly. <laughs> he's going to go through a table yep. uh, and do something crazy. Um, I think it's going to be Randy Orton who's going to win. Me too. I think Hardy will try to do one too many crazy things and don't get caught. Bam. Yeah. And so, yeah. And, they, and, and I think they want it. They really, I think they really want to get Orton over as like a vicious heel right now. Raw women's championship. Ronda Rousey defends against Alexa bliss. Oh yeah. It's going to be Ronda. I, I think, think Ronda's, so. t- 
I think Ronda is keeping that belt at least till WrestleMania. I think that she's going to win for sure. I don't think it's going to be a quick two-minute squash like the first time they wrestled. I think they want to give Alexa Bliss a little bit of credibility, but I have no doubt that Ronda's winning. I think it's going to eventually, uh, Natty's going to turn on her, and that'll be what keeps her going for a couple months during coming up this late fall, early winter months. Probably. I agree, though. There's And there's no way in hell she's losing to Alexa Bliss. Just not happening. Now, here's a match on the other side that I'm really looking forward to, seeing what they do with it. On the SmackDown side of women's title, Charlotte's defending against Becky Lynch. What do you think happens? Um, I think Charlotte's going to win. I think they, I think they love Charlotte. I love Becky Lynch right now as a heel, and you know they, they even though she should be a face, but they're idiots. But I think, I think they're smitten, they're smitten by, uh, by Charlotte. They want to give, they want to keep Charlotte the champion for a little bit while longer. I don't agree, man. I think, that, I think Becky's going to cheat somehow. I think she's going to cheat something with the ref. You don't see it somehow, some way she's going to do something dirty and she's going to win the belt because I think that they're desperate to try to make it a new heel. I don't think it's going to work. It hasn't worked and I don't think it's going to more fans will probably cheer for, but I think she's going to do something to cheat and win. And that feud is going to go on for quite a while, by the way, speaking of feuds that go on for quite a while, WWE title, AJ Styles against Samoa Joe, which by the way, I can't believe this match after what is the third time they've wrestled in a row. Why is this match not in a hell in a cell? But regardless, they're wrestling. Who do you got winning this? Yeah, it's their second time in a row. But yeah, you're right. I don't know why it's not in a, in a cell either. It's supposed to be like the most intense rivalry right now. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I, th- I think I think it's going to be Samoa Joe. I think Styles has had the belt long enough. He's had it almost a year. I think it's time. I yeah. I'm going to go with AJ Styles, but I, you could easily be right. I'm completely guessing there. I don't have any real reason for saying that main event WWE universal title, which will be held in the cell Braun Strowman against Roman Reigns. And just on Monday, it was announced that Mick Foley is going to be the special guest referee. What do you got? It's Roman. Sadly, I think Roman, they're not, they're not taking the belt off of Roman right after SummerSlam. No way. Do you I think, think he went clean? I mean, with Foley there, there's something that, there's something that could happen. You know, where I think Foley's going to cost Braun the, the match, so like Braun doesn't look weak. So, and that's why I think he's there because again, Vince loves Braun. Like this is like his one A, one B guys right here. So I, I think I think he's going to cost him the match somehow, and who knows how he'll do it. But uh, they're not taking the belt off from Roman. They're they're keeping it on. I wouldn't be surprised if we get a couple of pay-per-views worth of Braun versus Roman right now. Well, we use a wrestling term to finish our segment every week. We call it our finisher. We, we have our last take and we call it our finisher. So it's time to hit our finishers for the week. I'll go first. Me, I'm getting really tired of reporters, especially Sabres reporters, dropping attempts of like ironic wit and humor on Twitter. I mean, I constantly see shit like, you know, this Darlene guy, he may be pretty good. Or, you know, Darlene has a little bit of skill in his game. Fucking no shit, man. You know, he's the top (laughs) overall pick. He's regarded as a generational talent. Of course he's good. Your shit ain't funny when you tweet like that. So just stop. What do you got? Well, I'm going to go with Twitter as well and talk a little bit about uh, the Buffalo News and their attempts to tweet, which they don't really do that well on the sports side. I don't know if anyone has noticed this right now, but I feel like the athletic, there's a lot of camaraderie right there right now with like people retweeting their stories, tweeting during games, 
there's just they look like a gang. Like and and again, it's about branding sometimes. And Twitter is your brand. It is a brand that can lead you to your website. And right now with especially on the the football side, I don't see that at all. I was I was noticing this on Sunday cuz I went back to check. Vic Carucci didn't tweet at all during the Bills game. At all. I don't and, and all he seems to ever do is just tweet out links. Now, I don't really Vic is there when you think about it right now with Sully and Bucky gone, Vic is kind of like their main guy when it comes to NFL. Like he's name recognition. He's been there for 500 years, you know, in terms of like, since I was a kid and he doesn't even tweet during the games. And then they don't even retweet other people's pieces. Did you know that Jason Wolf, who is like their newest reporter had a piece where he followed Eric Wood on game day? Yeah. I didn't know that. He's my next guest that. on my podcast next week. I'm going to talk to him about that. Yeah, I didn't even freaking know that. But you know what I did know? Eric Wood is now ready for the athletic. Why did I know about that? Because the athletic pimped it out. And that's and then, and that's where the Buffalo News just doesn't get it. They need to tweet more. If you want to be relevant, if you want to like stay in it, you need to start tweeting each other's stuff, tweeting the fans, tweeting during games more than just like, oh, it's second and third, it's second and five at the seven yard line. Oh, there's a fumble. Like use a fucking gif or something, okay, for God's sakes, when you're describing a play or anything like that. Again, social media is key now. And I think the Buffalo News, their sports guys are missing the boat on that. And if I'm Josh Barnett, I'm having a all hands on deck meeting going, you are retweeting everyone. I don't care if you don't, if you like Twitter or not, retweet everyone or you're finished. All right, that's a wrap for this episode. Thanks again to Joe Yurden from The Athletic for coming on and doing the show. I had a good time interviewing him, getting to know him, tracking his life, his career, of course, talking about the Buffalo Sabres, chicken wing talk, had a really good time. That was a lot of fun. Love doing those type of interviews. Thanks as well to Joe from Buffalo Wings for coming on and doing our regular Running With Joe segment. I don't always agree with Joe's takes on the Buffalo Bills and stuff like that, but you know what? He does have strong takes, and whenever he's on, it makes for a more fun podcast. So thanks a lot, Joe. Coming up on the show next Tuesday, I have a wide-ranging interview with Jason Wolf from the Buffalo News. He's new to the news, very interesting guy, good story to tell, has a really good background, interesting fella. Looking forward to bringing that to you next week. You haven't done so already, Please go to iTunes or Apple Podcasts. I think that's what it's called now. And subscribe to this podcast. It's quick. It's easy. It's free. All you got to do is find us. Hit that subscribe button. And then bam. Every time a new episode comes out. Which is every Tuesday and Friday. It automatically gets sent to your phone. Or to your laptop. Your iPad. Whatever. Play it. Save it. Or play it and delete it. So that it doesn't take up all the memory on your phone. If you don't have iTunes. You can also subscribe on, what is it, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spotify, pretty much anywhere future award-winning podcasts are heard. You can also follow me on Twitter at Tweets. Take care of yourself. Have a good weekend. Go Buffalo Bills. Hopefully you can get your shit together on Sunday. Take care.